Hello, I'm Rachel Babin from the Oncology Network. Welcome to the Oncology Podcast's Experts on Point series. How often do men with localized prostate cancer regret their treatment decisions? What practical support can be offered to men facing a prostate cancer diagnosis to help them navigate all available treatment options? How can we encourage patients to ask more questions about their cancer? Join me once again in conversation with Dr. Ben Smith to discuss another of his recent papers on a question prompt list to support shared decision-making in localised prostate cancer. Ben is a Senior Research Fellow and Cancer Institute New South Wales Career Development Fellow. He has a particular interest in fear of cancer recurrence, digital health interventions and underserved populations impacted by cancer. He also came on the podcast a few weeks ago to talk to us about a fear of recurrence screening tool. So if you enjoyed today's episode and would like to hear more from Ben, please circle back to episode 17 on our website or on your favorite podcast streaming app. And just a reminder to access all of our free and exclusive podcasts, including our ever popular series on diagnostics called Beyond the Slide. Registered healthcare professionals are invited to join the Oncology Network head over to oncologynetwork.com.au to find out more. It's free and it only takes a moment. This is Rachel Pappin and this is the Oncology Podcast. Hi Ben, welcome back to the Oncology Podcast Experts on Point series. Thank you, good to be back. I should start by mentioning that Ben came on the show a few weeks ago to talk to us about fear of cancer recurrence screening tools. So if you enjoy today's episode, which I hope you do, you'll be able to find the other episode on our websites and on podcast streaming apps. So to questions, I'd like to start by asking you if you can tell me something surprising about yourself, Ben. Perhaps when I'm not doing psycho-oncology research. I like to be climbing large chunks of rock. I guess everyone needs a hobby to keep them somewhat sane, but yeah, rock climbing is, is that for me. So we'll move on to what we're here to discuss today. Now, you recently published a paper called Encouraging Patients to Ask Questions. And you developed a question prompt list for patients undergoing a biopsy for suspected prostate cancer. So just for the broader audience, first of all, what is a question prompt list? As the name suggests, it's essentially, it's a very brief, simple tool that comprises questions or a list of questions that a patient can select to ask their healthcare professional uh, in regards to the types of treatment that they might receive for a particular condition, in this case, prostate cancer. Thank you. So what are the main decisions that men with localized prostate cancer will be asked to make? So men with localized prostate cancer have, I guess, three main treatment options. One is active monitoring. So just to continue having being tested to monitor their PSA levels. And the second is to have radical prostatectomy, so surgical removal of the prostate. And the third is radiotherapy. And I guess treatment decision-making in this instance is 
a really classic example of where patient values and preferences are so important because there's just been the 15-year kind of survival data published from the PROTECT study in the UK where they randomized a couple of thousand men to each of those three treatment options and 15 years later there was essentially no difference in the survival outcomes for those three different treatment options. There were pretty low rates of mortality across all three different treatment arms. So where the, I guess, main differences are, how those treatments can impact on people's quality of life. And so they've also published that data, I think 12-year patient-reported outcome data also in New England Journal of Medicine. And so in the prostatectomy group, for instance, there are higher levels of urinary leakage. And also when it comes to sexual activity, there are men in the prostatectomy group also can experience lower rates of being able to get an erection sufficient for intercourse. But patients in the radiotherapy group, for instance, had higher levels of nocturia or which is just having to go to the toilet during the evening. So of course, disrupted sleep. And there's also issues like fecal leakage as well in the radiotherapy group that are more common. So it's really, I guess, up to patients as to which of those outcomes are likely to impact their quality of life the greatest and make a treatment decision based on those values. And do men often experience regret about their treatment decision? Yeah, that it is quite common. So there's some data from another large study of more than 2,000 patients just published in JAMA Oncology in 2021 and about 16% of those undergoing radical prostatectomy experienced decisional regret and then slightly lower rates in those under about 11% undergoing radiotherapy and about 7% in the active surveillance or monitoring arm at at five years. So when you do ask men further down the track how they feel about their treatment and whether they would have liked to have guessed perhaps made a different choice, there are a significant portion of men who who do or express some regret. Thank you. So I'll bring you back to your paper now. Can you talk us through the study design and what you did? Yeah, so I mean, we've done some preliminary work leading up to this study where a few years ago, Liverpool Hospital in southwestern Sydney, I think, became the first public hospital in Australia to acquire a surgical robot for the purpose of conducting robotic-assisted radical prostatectomies. And what we found in the qualitative and quantitative research that we did looking at what the information and support care needs were of men considering either having a radical prostatectomy that was robot-assisted versus radiotherapy, that the treatment choice was primarily influenced by their clinician's advice and that tended to be urologists. But these men were actually able to 
attend one of Australia's first combined clinics where they saw both a urologist and a radiation oncologist on the same day. But what we found that was that most patients preferred robotic prostatectomy before they'd even attended that combined clinic, had quite a strong preference for that. But they did really value seeing both a urologist and a radiation oncologist. But we kind of figured that patients needed some way of getting more information about all their treatment options earlier in the treatment process because by the time they got to this clinic, a lot of the men had already developed quite a strong preference that might not have been based on a completely balanced presentation of the evidence. So in this study, what we did was develop, we thought that perhaps, yeah, just this brief, simple tool that would enable men to get information from their preferred source, their treating clinicians, and self-tailor, I guess, the amount of or the specific questions they wanted to ask and the amount of information that they got might help in getting that information, more balanced information earlier. And there are lots of decision aids for prostate cancer treatment decision-making, which are, I guess, more comprehensive and involved tools for aiding decision-making that often present the pros, quite a bit of information about the pros and cons of the different treatment options and help people weigh weigh up their values and how they value those different outcomes. But while those decision aids have been shown to be effective in research, they haven't really been implemented in practice. So we wanted something that we thought could feasibly be used in clinical practice. So we developed this question prompt list And then we surveyed men both before and after using the question prompt list about their kind of attitudes towards treatment decision-making and decisional outcomes and also did some qualitative interviews with men to get some further data around the acceptability and usability of the question prompt list. And how did you select the final questions for inclusion on the list? So basically we reviewed existing question prompt lists for cancer patients more generally. We drew on our previous research in this area and did a broader review of the scientific literature and then looked at existing resources for men with localised prostate cancer, specifically from places like Prostate Cancer Foundation of Australia, but also overseas resources from the American Cancer Society or Macmillan Cancer Support, for instance. And then we got iterative feedback from a multidisciplinary team that included consumers, urologists, radiation oncologists, nurses, and psycho-oncology researchers. And we whittled down what was initially a list of about 100 questions to 26 questions ultimately, plus some space for men to write down their own questions um, in the first instance. And then because we were aiming to include men with suspected localised prostate cancer after presenting this MDT, we got some feedback that it would be good to include some further questions for men who are ultimately not diagnosed with prostate cancer to ask, which was just an additional three questions. Thank you. And now to the results. Could you discuss those for us? Yeah, so in a nutshell, what we found was that the majority of men, so about two-thirds of men 
reported moderate to high levels of satisfaction with the content of the question prompt lists and thought it was useful in guiding appointments when they received their biopsy results and were discussing treatment options. And that was supported by the qualitative feedback that we got, which showed that the question prompt list, the timing of when it was delivered was acceptable. They liked the fact it could be used flexibly and they could select as many or as few questions as they wanted. They could take it to the consultation if they wanted or it might guide further their own research about the topic. And they were generally satisfied with the contents of the question prompt list in terms of its kind of length and topics that it covered. But the big issue was that only about one in five men were actually given the question prompt list in the first place. So those who got it generally thought it was quite useful, but you know, it's not going to have the impact that we'd like if it's not given to more men than just one in five men. Mm. So in an ideal world, who is it that gives them the list? It's typically a urologist. Well, that's how it mm-hmm. worked in this study. Urologists working predominantly in private practice, but also at a public hospital, namely Liverpool Hospital. There is some, I guess, ideally, it would possibly be the general practitioner who would provide the initial referral to the urologist who might provide a resource like this. But at present, it is largely the urologists who provide information about treatment options and guide treatment decision-making. And did you identify reasons for why there was this reluctance to actually give them to the patients? Yeah. Well, initially, I think there was some degree of anxiety amongst the urologists that giving out this resource could cause people to feel anxious Mm -hmm. or more anxious than they needed to be, particularly because not all of the men would ultimately be diagnosed with prostate cancer. So giving them a leaflet essentially that said, you know, these are questions you can ask about different prostate cancer treatment options for someone who might not be diagnosed. Yeah, it could cause unnecessary distress. We did actually survey men in that group and that didn't appear to be the case, although fairly small numbers. So that could be one contributing factor. The other contributing factor I guess was it was a bit hard to disentangle where the low number of men who participated was due or given the question prompt list was due to, I guess, the administrative burden of having to participate in the study. So it wasn't the case that we could just get urologists to give out the question prompt list to whoever they thought it might be suited to. They had to explain what the study was about and get informed consent then give them the question prompt list. Mm -hmm. And so there's a bit more of an involved process and it could have been those that the research-related factors that actually turn them off offering the question prompt list to more men. So outside of the research context, do you see that figure rising that more men will be receiving this kind of information more easily? Yeah, potentially. I mean, I guess... There was probably also some concern that giving men a resource like this, 
I guess, could cause a larger number of men to decide against having a radical prostatectomy, which is you know, what urologists do or what the treatment that they offer. But interestingly, as with our previous results looking at the combined clinic, the question promptness didn't appear to really push men in any one particular direction. And for a lot of men, it just helped, I guess, confirm their preference for a particular option or feel more confident that they were basing their decision on kind of all the available evidence. That confidence that their decision is an empowered decision, perhaps. Mm, Yeah. There was a quote in the paper that really caught my eye when a participant who was interviewed said, I didn't know that I had any treatment options. I just thought that whatever the doctor said, I'd have to accept that, which was really striking to me. You know, I think in today's world of modern medicine, where we have so many new drugs, new technologies, new treatment innovations, it's more important than ever that we keep returning to educating patients about their options and empowering patient choices and really kind of focusing on that shared decision making. Is that something that reflects with you? I absolutely agree that we need to be educating patients about what options they have available to them and presenting that information in a balanced way. But I do think that we need to ask patients how much information they want about those options and how involved they want to be in the treatment decision-making process because I guess, as you alluded to, we're also faced with the opposite problem to not having enough information about options in that there's just so much information available these days. And, you know, while I guess prostate cancer is the kind of context where shared decision-making is really the gold standard, there are going to be some people who may be overwhelmed by all the information available and and the treatment options that they have. And in our study, there were a small proportion of patients, about 10%, who wanted minimal involvement in treatment decision-making and probably just wanted quite a strong recommendation from their doctor. And I guess that's one of the good things about a tool like a question prompt list is that it gives people an idea about the kind of issues that they might want to be thinking about and the different options available, but it enables them to decide, you know, how many questions they want to ask, if any, and so they can self-tailor, I guess, that information or how much information they're getting. That's a very valid point. Thank you, Ben. Now, moving on slightly, I noticed on Twitter that you comment a lot on diversity and inclusivity in cancer research. Was the question prompt list made available in other languages or do you plan to do so in the future? Yeah, I'm a bit ashamed to say that it wasn't evaluated in languages other than English. And Southwestern Sydney, where study was primarily conducted, is really the ideal place to undertake that research because half of the population there speak a language other than English at home. And we had initially planned to offer the question prompt list in other languages. And I guess that was one of the attractions. It is such a brief 
tool that translation of the resource itself wouldn't be overly complicated. But what ended up preventing that was the cost essentially of translating all the study materials such as the participant information sheets and consent forms and questionnaires and the being able to have an interpreter help with the qualitative interviews and that's such a problem when you know we were very fortunate to get a $50,000 seed grant from the Australian New Zealand Urogenital and Prostate Cancer Trials Group or ANZ up that they where they raise money through their Below the Belt campaign and use it to seed projects such as this one. And it's great in getting ideas like this off the ground, but it's just unfortunately often not enough money to really do that inclusive kind of research that's you know, desperately needed to support people from culturally and linguistically diverse backgrounds in particular. Excellent. And I'm glad that you've got a shout out to ANS up in there because they do support some really diverse and amazing projects. And we always enjoy speaking to researchers who've had projects funded by ANS up. So thank you. So what's next with the question prompt list? Are you planning on further studies, perhaps when you roll it out, translated options? Yeah. So ANS up are currently revamping their website and we're hoping to offer it as part of a suite of this consumer resources that they're planning on hosting on their website. Yeah, we're a little bit unsure about where to go with this now, you know, whether it's, I guess the next logical step would be to explore, you know, what the barriers and facilitators are to urologists actually giving out this the question prompt list to patients and maybe exploring alternative options such as delivery through GPs. We don't have immediate plans to do that work. And as you alluded to, it'd be great to test this in different cultural or language groups as well. Um, very happy to hear from any keen fellows or registrars who might be interested in taking on a project of that nature, particularly, you know, and this research was very multidisciplinary. As I said, we had input from urologists, radiation oncologists, prostate cancer nurses, and, you know, it, it needs, I guess, that multidisciplinary support to keep it going, and particularly amongst the urology community. So, yeah, if anybody is interested, very, very open to conducting further work in that area. Fantastic. And so before we wrap up, were there any other resources or organizations that you might like to mention that listeners will find it useful if they want to learn more? I mean, I, I guess apart from ANS UP, as I mentioned, the, the questions that ultimately went into the question prompt list were primarily taken from or collated from other prostate cancer organizations I mean, the Prostate Cancer Foundation of Australia, or PCFA, they have a great resource called Understanding Prostate Cancer, which is quite an in-depth resource, very comprehensive, and it does have a small section in it called Questions to Ask Your Doctor. I think it is that lists some of the questions that are included in the question prompt list. So given that the question prompt list isn't currently publicly available, that's probably a good place to refer 
patients too in the meantime and yeah I hope that we'll be as I said working with ANZAP to make it more broadly available soon. Excellent well thank you once again for coming back on the show to talk to us about your prolific work at the moment. Psycho-oncology studies don't always get the same headlines as new drugs and technologies but this work can make such an important difference to patient empowerment and patient experiences so we're always happy to help spread the word and keep the conversations going so good luck and please keep us posted on the next project as well thanks Rachel yeah really appreciate your support of uh, all kinds of research thank you you've been listening to the oncology podcasts experts on point series brought to you by the oncology network To hear more podcast episodes, head over to our oncology portal at www.oncologynetwork.com.au. Registration is free for healthcare professionals and will give you access to exclusive content such as our diagnostic series, Beyond the Slide. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please share it with your colleagues. This is Rachel Bavin and this is the Oncology Podcast. 